the timely track of ex-cyclone Esther. So we'll be welcoming the rain for sure um, as it tracks southeastwards across the dry interior, but there will be some other hazards they'll need to look out for as well. How climate change is impacting our coastal seas. We're seeing more and more warm water species coming into the shelf seas, changes in the zooplankton populations, changes in the fisheries. And how close are our oceans to reaching climatic tipping points? Each extra bit of emissions creates an extra little bit of climate change. But there are some parts of the climate system that can actually change in a quite sudden way. It's Thursday the 5th of March and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and this is Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. Much of Australia has been blighted by devastating drought and bushfires over the last few years. In recent months, record heat combined with lack of rain has left large swathes of the country parched. Only the far north, under the influence of tropical rains and cyclones, has remained relatively verdant. In recent days, however, an interesting meteorological development has brought a glimmer of hope to Australia's dry interior. It's called Cyclone Esther. Deputy Chief Meteorologist Laura Ellum picks up the story. Tropical cyclone Esther developed over the open waters of the Gulf of Carpentaria, just to the north of Australia. It strengthened into a Category 1 tropical cyclone as it headed southwards towards the coast. What happened to the cyclone next? It stayed a Category 1 cyclone as it came inland, made landfall around the 24th of February. After that, it fairly quickly weakened again into a tropical low as it continued westward across the north of Australia. It didn't go out to sea and re-strengthen it into a cyclone as there was the possibility of it doing so. Now, a lot of rain associated with it, even when it tracked in land, and there's a reason for this. There's a couple of reasons, in fact, that Esther did have quite a lot of rainfall associated with it. One is the fact that it remained quite close to the north of Australia and was able to tap into the tropical moisture that lingers to the north of Australia at this time of year, it's monsoon season. The other thing as well is that it was following the track of a couple of previous systems which had already wettened up the ground before it. So there's this phenomenon known as brown ocean effect, which is where cyclones can maintain an, an amount of intensity over land because there's an, an amount of moisture on the ground which can help provide some energy back into the system. So it brought a lot of rainfall to the western interior of Australia and needed rainfall. There has been some dry seasons to other parts of Australia, even in, in the north where Monsoon is a fairly regular thing year on year, but they were needing rainfall even here. And so, yes, Esther's rainfall has, in fact, been uh, a bonus to, for example, cattle farmers in the area. So the land could look very different across these parts in, say, two or three days' time. That's right. I mean, it's been very dry, hence the wildfires. Of course, since the wildfires have ended, they've been having some, some decent rainfall. But the fact that they had wildfires does, of course, produce some concerns about whether there may be landslides in the areas where there are burn scars and things. So a double-edged sword, perhaps they will be welcoming the rain for sure um, as it tracks southeastwards across the dry interior. But there will be some other hazards they'll need to look out for as well. Laura Ellum, Chief Deputy Forecaster here at the Met Office, thank you. Thank you. The Met Office collaborates with many academic institutions, one of which is the Plymouth Marine Laboratory, or PML, which conducts high-quality marine research. This research includes the UK Environmental Prediction Model System, which forecasts long-term atmosphere and weather patterns and their effect on marine systems. 
particularly on shelf seas, which are the shallow waters surrounding continents. PML director is Professor Icarus Allen. On a recent visit to the Met Office, he described the range of work the laboratory carries out. We're looking at the marine carbon cycle, we're looking at measuring PCO2, how it impacts on the acidity of the ocean, we're looking at how ocean acidification then impacts on individual organisms and groups of organisms in terms of their physiological function, ability to reproduce and ultimately on ecosystem goods and services. I asked Professor Allen, what are the main marine impacts? I think the biggest impact of short-term climate change, first and foremost, is temperature rise and warming, which uh, in particular has an enormous effect on biodiversity, uh, species distributions. We're seeing more and more warm water species coming into the shelf seas, changes in the zooplankton populations, changes in the fisheries. And the monitoring by our colleagues at the uh, Plankton Survey in Plymouth has been demonstrating this for over 50 years. Why is plankton so important? Well, plankton provide a photosynthetic organisations. They provide the base of the food web. They uh, take in sunlight, they fix carbon dioxide and produce oxygen. They're the single largest producers of oxygen on the planet. For their research, PML rely on data, some of which goes back 100 years. The 100 years of data, the longest, is uh, the temperature record which exists unbroken apart from two world wars and a small pause in the 1980s. Over that 100 years, there is quite significant temperature rise in the sea surface. And if memory serves me correct, I think it's of the order of three quarters to one degree centigrade over the 100 years or so. Professor Icarus Allen of the Plymouth Marine Laboratory. Real-time data, as previously mentioned, can add immense value to our climate models. However, understanding open water ocean impacts can present other challenges the regions of study are expansive, remote and deep. However remote, the major ocean current systems play a crucial role in regulating climate, even at a local level. Carbonbrief.org recently published a series of articles describing climate change tipping points, from the loss of permafrost to Amazon deforestation. Dr Richard Wood from the Met Office is the main author on the Ocean Circulation paper we often think of climate change as changing the climate smoothly. So the more emissions we put out, each extra bit of emissions creates an extra little bit of climate change. But there are some parts of the climate system that can actually change in a quite sudden way. It's a bit like blowing up a balloon, where if you blow into a balloon initially, the balloon just expands a little bit. But then at some point, you just have to blow a little bit more and suddenly the balloon starts expanding. So a small change in the push that you're giving makes a big change in the, some bit of the climate system. Some impacts we can see before our eyes. We can see what's happening, coastal erosion, say, uh, sea surface temperature. But when it comes to the deep ocean, we rely on scientists like yourself. Tell us about AMOC. So the AMOC stands for Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, which is quite a mouthful, which is why we shorten it. Um, basically, it's a global circulation of the ocean. So in the North Atlantic, near the surface, there's warm water coming northwards, and that warm water... Um, it's bringing heat up from the tropics and it loses that heat to the atmosphere, so it's basically warming our climate in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, but as that water uh, gives up its heat, it gets colder, so it sinks and it flows back kilometres below the surface of the ocean. So it creates what we call this overturning circulation, that's the overturning bit of the... So it's like a 3D ribbon really, just um, sort of meandering around the ocean in 3D. That's right, it's transporting this water around the world and to go around the whole circuit is hundreds or even thousands of years. 
So is that the reason why Northwest Europe is maybe milder than the North Pacific? Absolutely. The water in the Atlantic, this warm water coming up north in the Atlantic, is basically giving up its heat to the atmosphere around the North Atlantic. There's no similar circulation in the North Pacific. So if the AMOC does weaken, what will we experience here in the UK? If the AMOC weakens, which we expect it will to some extent under climate change, as you lose that transport of heat to the North Atlantic, you expect a cooling effect. This is included in uh, the projections that we make of climate change. So the cooling effect over around the North Atlantic slightly offsets the effects of global warming, but not completely. It reduces the amount of warming in parts of the world like the UK, but still the net effect is very much of warming. And there are other effects as well. So as the AMOC weakens, it contributes to sea level rise around the North Atlantic. So actually a weakening AMOC would uh, increase the amount of sea level rise in, uh, in the, the Northern Hemisphere. Anything to do with our weather? Any impacts regarding rainfall or storminess? Another impact of a, a weakening AMOC is a change in the storm tracks, possibly a slight increase in the strength of uh, winter storms in the mid-latitudes around, the, say, the UK. So at the moment we see a lot of storms heading up towards Iceland. We could be in the firing line for more of those. Yes, or there could just be a general strengthening of those storms, particularly in the winter. Dr Richard Wood. For the last three weekends, we've had three named storms impacting the UK. So what's happening this weekend? Here's Alex Deacon. Another weekend where the main meteorological features are wind and rain. But hopefully the weather won't be as severe this weekend as the past several weekends. But there will be wet and windy weather to contend with. Actually, having said that, most of Saturday across much of England and Wales will be dry. Some early drizzle from a warm front clearing away from the east and then here it might even brighten up. Generally, though, it will be pretty cloudy on Saturday with an increasing wind and there will be rain across Northern Ireland and Western Scotland. That'll steadily increase also through the day. And then as a weather front swings across, we'll see some heavy bursts of rain on Saturday night, particularly over Western Hill. So that needs watching. It could cause some further issues. That weather front, though, does then generally swing away pretty smartish from the east on Sunday. And then we're left with sunshine and showers for Sunday. Blustery showers as well. It will turn pretty windy again this weekend. But as I said, not quite as extreme as recent weekends. It's going to be milder as well. It's been a pretty cold week with temperatures generally in single figures. This weekend we're looking at double digits as maxima for most parts. And possibly if it brightens up at all, we could see temperatures into the teens. So milder but wet and windy yet again this weekend. Thanks, Alex. Now, just before we go, here's Bonnie Diamond with last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly extremes for Monday the 24th of February to Sunday the 1st of March. The highest max occurred on Monday in Conings Bay in Lincolnshire, peaking at 14.1 Celsius. Braemar in the Highlands recorded the lowest temperature of the week. This was early on Tuesday morning with a min of minus 6.2 Celsius. Another very wet week across the country, the wettest place was Capelcurrig in Gwynedd on Monday when 54.2mm of rain fell in 24 hours. The sunniest place last week was in Bulmer in Northumberland with 9.3 hours of sunshine recorded on Wednesday. Thanks Bonnie. That's it for Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer this week is Adrian Holloway. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.